Welcome to Now Appalachia, hosted by author and Appalachian resident, Elliot Parker. This show profiles the authors and publishers that have connections to the Appalachian region and how those connections influence and impact their works. And now, Appalachia. And hello, friends. We welcome you to another episode of Now Appalachia, heard here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Great to have you with us once again for another episode. I'm your host, Elliot Parker. And on this episode of Now Appalachia, we're talking about poetry, and we're talking about the genre of poetry with an outstanding Ohio poet who has a new collection of poems out called Emily, As Sometimes the Forest Wants the Fire. And that poet is Darren Demery. And Darren Demery is a graduate of the College of Wooster, Miami University, and Kent State University. He's a recipient of the 2018 Ohio Arts Council Individual Excellence Award, the Louise Brogan Award from Trio House Press, and the Nancy Dew Taylor Award from Emory's Journal. He's also the managing editor of the Best of the Net Anthology and Ovenberg Poetry, and he's currently living in Columbus, Ohio with his wife and children. And this poetry collection that we're going to be talking about today, Emily is Sometimes the Forest Wants the Fire, is his 11th collection of poetry. So we have a very accomplished and very talented poet with us here today to talk about his latest work and also talk to us about the genre of poetry and his Best of the Net anthology. So Darren, welcome to Now Appalachia. Good to have you here. Thank you for having me, sir. So I wanted to ask you first, before we get into uh, your career as a poet and your new uh, excellent collection of poetry, when you hear the word poetry, or you hear someone bring up that word, what are some ideas or images or thoughts that come to mind when someone says, hey, Darren, poetry? <laughs> well, I think my favorite thing about the word poetry is how open-ended it can be. Um, I think a lot of folks have preconceptions about the form of poetry, um, some of them more stringent than others. And poetry for me is much more open-ended than that. It's uh, the presence of music and energy, uh, of images and landscape, uh, and choosing when to use certain tools and when not to use certain tools. Uh, I think forms are great, uh, but messing with forms and playing with them and removing them in different ways um, makes poetry uh, exciting. Even, even uh, visual poetry and sound poetry and things like that that might not be as mainstream um, outside the world of poetry than other forms um, are, are fascinating and you can, you can get a lot out of, uh, out of them. Very good. So this is your 11th collection of poetry. How did writing poetry and getting to the point where you are a multi-published poet with multi uh, collections of poetry published, how did all of that start for you? How did this develop for you? Um, well, I started uh, writing poetry in college, uh, as as most uh, young men do, to try to try to get girls, and um, I went on I went on to grad school to study it uh, more formally, uh, and had uh, some incredible teachers and got to work with some students, some contemporaries of mine, that were really inspiring. Um, and other than that, it's been uh, having the routine and and writing uh, almost constantly. Uh, and my first book came out about seven years ago uh, called As We Refer to Our Bodies, which, uh, as most poetry collections are, was ostensibly just the, the best of the poems that I'd written to that point. Uh, and I kept working at it, and, and very quickly after that, was able to publish some more and, and be lucky some awards and sort of just 
uh, always be writing and always be working on different projects and trying to challenge myself in, in different ways, in, in different forms, in different subjects. Some of them research, uh, some of them more personal, like this Emily As book, uh, which has a kind of poem that's sort of taken off on its own. Um, but always, always sort of answering the bell to keep writing and keep trying new things. And as long as I'm, I'm not bored, I'm going to just keep doing it. <laughs> Fantastic. That's great. And this latest collection of poetry uh, that you have, Emily is Sometimes the Forest Wants the Fire, came out uh, May 23rd of 2019. And I came across this poetry uh, by stalking you on Facebook, as any good fan of any writers do. And uh, when I was coming across your collection of poetry, I, I got into this. And one of the things I really love about your collection is that there is a real a realness to this collection of poetry. And um, I think many of the poems kind of center on just ordinary instances of relationships that people have with each other. So you've got some poems in here that deal with married life. You have some poems in here that talk about how a couple occupy a space, occupy what they typically refer to as a home. Uh, there's some poems in here about date nights. There's some poems in here about children. Uh, just sort of the average things that people experience as they go through and progress through a relationship. But one of your poems that I really, really liked that really caught my attention was early on in the collection. It was called An Answer More Convincing. And the, the way you open this, um, I just wanted to ask you a question about one of your lines. And there was a, a, a couple here I highlighted where you say in that poem, Emily says we are bundled in twilight, fire tested, survivalists with a wish for death without an elegy. And I feel like that there is a theme of that death without an elegy in a lot of your poems as you kind of get through them and you work through the collection. That phrase, death without elegy, can you talk to us a little bit thematically about what that is and kind of how that worked its way into a lot of the poems in the collection? Sure. Uh, the idea centers around uh, the action, the impetus of living and, uh, and in our relationship. Uh, the, the Emily in these poems... Uh, ends up getting interpreted a lot of different ways, which is fun, um, but Emily's real. <laughs> uh, I, I married her. Um, and uh, I always find the most interest in, uh, you know, switching the statue and the pedestal sort of setup, um, and and mostly just trying to get rid of it. And real love poems for me, especially right now, are uh, centered in the everyday and centered in a relationship as it develops and changes. Um, and, uh, you know, Emily's the tornado in all these poems and she's the one who brings everything to light. Uh, and one of those things, and especially in the lines that you just brought up, is that we want the life, we wanna live as long as we can, we don't want to mourn any part of this. Um, even when things go astray or are hard or mistakes are made. And in this book, there's a lot of talk about drinking and my drinking and things like that. Um, we, don't, we don't want that to be sadness. We want that to be action and uh, working with each other and for each other uh, and trying to find uh, the appropriate metaphors and commonplace situations to express that. Uh, and you you picked out one of my favorites. So thank you for that. Oh, very good. Excellent. Um, and I want to ask you too, kind of uh, piggybacking off a couple of comments there that you just that you just said. And I'm so glad that you married the Emily that you write about in the poetry collection. That That's that's a fantastic detail to note. That's really great. Um, I, I wanted to ask you too, something that, that I noticed in, in a lot of your poems too. 
um, you kind of ask us some questions or you ask the reader some questions as we go through these different poems and we think about love and relationships and, and the space we occupy with someone that we care about. Uh, and that is kind of, are, are we paying attention really or close attention to, um, you know, the, the, the wholeness or uh, the connection that we have with the person that we really love? And one poem that really got me thinking about that theme was It's Horrendous Really. Um, and I like that poem because it, it kind of shines some light on how we can think about the wholeness and sort of the um, main aspects of the ones that we love uh, and it kind of focus on that. Can you talk a little bit about that poem and kind of that, that theme of um, do we pay close attention? Should we pay close attention to the one that we love? And um, how can we illuminate that space that exists between a lover and lovey in terms of making sure they feel valued and connected and uh, that we're always engaged with that person that we supposedly love. Right. Um, and for, for me, that, that sort of tongue in cheek part of that title um, there are some times, and I think I, I succeeded a few times. I, I probably tried to succeed more than I did uh, was to find, to find some lightness in that complexity. Um, in one of the poems, like Emily is erotica at the table where it's uh, you're uh, trying to be seductive while <laughs> feeding uh, the children at the table and trying not to spill soup on them and, and, and things like that. I, there is a largeness to the idea in these poems because we're talking about that kind of love, that kind of love you want to carry with you as long as you possibly can. But that largeness has weight that if you don't try to distribute or mitigate in some sort of way through humor, or through um, the messing with expectations, things like that, then it, it, it's gonna be too hard. Um, and the poems can't be all about the hardness. It's gotta be about that love and it's gotta be how we can find a way to still fit that in, even if it's a joke, even if it's um, uh, sometimes dark humor, things like that. Uh, embracing how hard it is to be a parent and still have that kind of relationship with a partner um, to, to make the inappropriate joke and, and to, to make it special to still share those moments. Um, now my kids are getting older. Uh, one of them's about to turn 11. So the inappropriate jokes are gonna get cut off. I've, I've <laughs> losing my depth here, but, but trying, to, trying to work some of that stuff into the poems so that they can still move uh, without all the weight that is sort of inherent to these kind of poems. Darren Demery is our guest here on Now Appalachia. We're talking to him about his latest collection of poetry. Emily is Sometimes the Forest Wants the Fire. It's his 11th collection of poetry. And Darren, we'll come back to that in just a minute. But I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, kind of your writing life and your experience as a writer. Who are some poets or writers that really influence you or that you really look to for inspiration or when you're in the midst of working on a poem and you get stuck that you kind of find yourself going back to, to kind of help you get out of that writer's block problem. Uh, well, one of the, one of the things that's sort of part of my routine and part of my practice is I buy and read a lot of new poetry. Um, so somewhere between 40 to 50 new collections a year. Um, I, I actually budget for it <laughs> so that I can keep reading new things and uh, keep sort of delving into what's happening. And it's the academic part of me and the, the 
getting the master's degrees and things like that. I'm just curious and want to keep growing and learning. Uh, when I was younger, it was poets like Anne Sexton and Robert Creeley, um, uh, Pablo Neruda, things like that. Uh, I grew out of sort of the Creeley part of it in the short poems and short lines. And I, I suppose I carried part of that with me from him. Uh, what I didn't carry with me and where these Emily poems came from, the, the A plus B equals Z formula, how they work, the conceit, um, is that I thought Creeley's women were boring. <laughs> he, he, he could express his love and tenderness for people and life and all those things, uh, but he couldn't, he couldn't elevate the women. He couldn't make them special. Um, and so I, I got frustrated and that's sort of where these poems came from. When I'm reading new things now to get excited, uh, the most important work to me developing uh, new things is uh, translated works. Uh, and where I find uh, difficult, I've got poetry just to enjoy poem, poets that I think do fantastic things. Even just Ohio poets like uh, Maggie Smith, uh, Hanif Abdurraqib, uh, Ruth Awad, those folks are just in Columbus. Uh, Will Evans, the poetry he writes about being a dad is incredible. Uh, but the, po the poets that help me develop are the ones writing in different languages, uh, writing from different backgrounds, things like that. So someone like Asse Berg, who writes um, sort of uh, very sort of weird and aggressive poetry, um and uses language in a way that i like i can't figure out how she does what she does and that's part of the development um trying to read old translated works i think that is where learning new things and developing routine can most be bolstered it doesn't have to be foreign language stuff but maybe you just need to read poetry written by a completely different person than you. um None of the poets I just uh, said are straight white dudes from Ohio. <laughs> um, they all have different, they all have different perspectives. Um, and I know plenty of straight white dudes from Ohio that write pretty good poetry and I can enjoy what they do, but I'm not going to learn. Um, you know, I, I don't read my own poetry for pleasure. Um, though I am pretty damn proud of some of, <laughs> some of the poems. Um, but yeah, that's, I think, part of the routine in developing uh, new forms and learning new forms and new topics and new ways to approach language is vital. And you're, you're looking for that sort of vitality. So when do you write? How do you write when you're composing poems? Um, are you a morning writer, evening writer, 3 a.m. writer? And can you talk to us a little bit, too, about getting poems published? Because we've had poets on the program before that have talked a little bit about getting poems published and getting collections of poems published is a little different than if an author's got a fiction manuscript or a memoir or something like that. So how do you write as a writer? And then what has your been or has been your path to getting your poems published and getting your collections put together? Sure. For me, I write uh, as the uh, primary caretaker of our three kids. So my job right now, uh, when the library is open fully, uh, is to work at a library, uh, public library here in Columbus. And my wife's a school teacher and we've got everything set up where I take care of the kids during the day. She comes home, we high five. And then I go work at night. 
Uh, and that's been the way we've had it for a long time. I used to keep, te uh, teach college English downtown for a long time at night. Um, so I tend to write when the youngest is napping. So hopefully I get an hour, two hours, maybe three hours uh, when uh, Catherine, when Katie Queen is uh, napping. She's two, so the naps are still coming, thankfully. Uh, in terms of the process of writing, it depends on what I'm working on. I've written very long sequences, uh, somewhere between 72 to 702 poems long. And I try to map those out. I try to have a plan and an outline and sort of ebbs and flows of where I want energy to come and go and try to execute different things. All of those uh, tend to revolve around uh, big ideas that I want to approach. Um, if I'm doing the Emily poems, which are the poems that are closest to my traditional voice. When I'm just trying to write without new form, uh, without new, uh, when I'm using punctuation, sometimes I don't. When I'm using line breaks, sometimes I don't. Um, so those poems are the ones that come most naturally to me and that, that can probably be <laughs> figured out by reading them. Um, but it really depends on what the, the subject is. I've done three books where it's taken a fair amount of research. Um, the Temporary Champions book about the Mancini Duku Kim title fight. Um, the Bombing the Thinker book about when the weathermen blew up the cast of Rodin's Thinker up at the Cleveland Museum of Art. Um, and then the Sam Cooke book, uh, Lady You Shot Me. Uh, all took a fair amount of research and that 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 sets things up differently where um, you're maybe not going to try to be as experimental with those. Um, but I normally have a pretty good plan going in how it's going to work, but only in the sequences do I really have to map things out about where I'm trying to get. Otherwise, if you're writing 240 poems on something, you can get lost pretty easily. Uh, in terms of publishing, um, that's just sort of part of what I do in terms of uh, try to submit poems every week. Um, Saturday or Sunday, just carve out some time. And, and poetry publishing does work differently. You're not uh, getting an agent and trying to place a manuscript somewhere. You're doing a lot of legwork. Uh, I had a, a friend's uncle who used to be the manager for the band, The Gin Blossoms, which I will still ride with Hey Jealousy. I love that song, great song. Oh yeah. Um, but <laughs> He, he at a certain point had reached out to me and said, well, do you need an agent? And I said, well, that's not how, <laughs> it's just not how poetry works. Um, now maybe you need someone to help you set up uh, readings and uh, college visits, things like that. But in terms of placing the manuscripts, no. My first book was picked out of a slush pile. Um, you know, Eighth House got 50, 75 books and they picked mine. Um, and I've been lucky to keep publishing with them. Uh, Temporary Champions was an invitation from Main Street Rag. Uh, obviously, when you win an award, like with Two Towns Over, the book about Ohio and addiction, um, that's, that's a way that a lot of people try to get published with poetry, because you want the award, you want some money, things like that. The Emily book was uh, a guy I knew, Gary Lovely, who runs Harpoon, was starting a press here in Columbus. And I'd gotten to talk to him a few times and thought he was an incredible guy. 
Uh, so I made sure when they had an open call for their first book that I, that I sent that one in. And this is a book, and this will be a good illustration of how poetry publishing works. I had a version of this manuscript because it's 12 years of poems. Uh, when it was about 10 years of poems that was a finalist for the Colorado Poetry Prize, which would have been a big deal. And then it was a semi-finalist at another national prize and a finalist at another book place. Um, and everyone seems to like these poems a lot. These have always been the most popular poems. And it just wasn't happening and wasn't happening. And then all of a sudden uh, with Harpoon uh, and with it, it, it just worked out. Uh, and so we added some new poems to it and it was ready to publish after not a lot of editing because it had been worked on for 12 years. And sometimes that's what happens. But uh, I'm really incredibly proud and really, really happy that it ended up at Harpoon. That's great. Fantastic. What a interesting and insightful path to publication there. And thank you for sharing that with us. That's fantastic to know. And it's, for our, it's not easy. <laughs> no, no. And for our, and for our poetry uh, fans and poetry writers out there listening, now you have a little bit more insight into kind of how the poetry process works in terms of publication. And I, I've heard from a number of poets over the years, Darren, that it is very different and very unique. It's not like anything else in terms of publishing another genre, fiction or nonfiction or memoir or whatever. Uh, it's, it's very, very different in its own right. We've been talking with uh, Darren Demery here on Now Appalachia about his career as a poet and also his outstanding new collection of poems, Emily is Sometimes the Forest Wants the Fire. And Darren, I want to go back to, the, to another poem here uh, just to, for just a moment. Then we're going to give you an opportunity to share a couple of poems from the collection with our audience. We were talking a few moments ago about this idea of uh, sort of uh, illuminating that connection that a lover has with uh, the one that he loves or the one that she loves, kind of illuminating that and developing that wholeness and that chemistry. I wanted to ask you about another poem in your collection that stood out to me, and it was called Sometimes This Comes Close to an Attempt at Alchemy. And mm -hmm. one of the things I really liked about this poem is it kind of focuses on uh, or gives us some insight into how a relationship has to grow and thrive and the chemistry sort of that has to be there. But we also get a sense that there's really sort of no playbook or set of rules for how that works based on what you've put in that poem. Can you talk a little bit about that poem and what's going on there and this concept of um, having this relationship grow and thrive? There is no playbook or user's manual for how to do that. Yeah, I, well, I, I, I myself came from a, a family of divorce, so I know how, how love can work and then not work. Um, and I think the complexity of it, um, and the, the alchemy part of the title comes from sometimes it's just sort of magic. There, there are, uh, traps in every relationship that could lead to the, to the bad place. And, uh, Emily and I have experienced some of those hard things together that very well could have been. Uh, bad places to stay and maybe not get out of. Uh, but we manage through uh, our relationship and through different things to, to make it work. And I can't really explain how or why. Uh, and I think that's maybe where the, the title that comes from, where uh, I can explain to you why uh, these poems work the way they do, why I love Emily the way that I do. Um, but I can't quite fully explain why she loves me. And I can't quite explain how she's the dynamo that she is. Um, it's almost untranslatable. Uh, and these poems are my attempt to translate uh, 
um, what she is. And that's, that's part of the exploration. It's not the pedestal and the statue. It's, I'm going to see if we can get this thing to dance. I'm going to see if we can find some music. And when the music stops, can we find the right joke? Can we find the loving touch? Can we find one of those things so that we don't end up back in bad places, that we find new good places. And if something hard comes up, we face it together. And that's uh, an incredibly difficult thing. Um, and burgeoning on it becoming a relationship podcast. So we'll, <laughs> we'll keep it to poetry. <laughs> Fantastic. So Darren, I want to give you an opportunity to share a couple of poems from that collection with our audience, because there are so many wonderful poems here uh, connected to not just this idea of love, but the idea I think of, and you've been talking about it uh, here today, just the idea of the connections people have with people and, and how those connections can spark. And as you mentioned, how they can sometimes fizzle and the amount of work that goes into uh, really being able to illuminate uh, with the one that you love, that idea of connection and connectivity. So share with us a couple of uh, poems from that collection. Uh, give us the title, and then we'll let you read those to us, and then we'll uh, talk a little bit more on the other side. Absolutely. This first one is called Emily as a Book of Endings for Leslie Harrison. I chose Emily because I knew that if she chose me, I could prepare for death in a way that made my desperation to keep living something tangible. Now, with each child we have, I am cemented in the panic of the living. Now, since she keeps choosing me every morning, I am able to taunt mortality in a way that will leave claw marks in the fields of Ohio. How glorious it will be to be dragged from the living and to scream one name, to spit one name at my weakening grip, to expect the strength to return to me just like the thousands of other times I've used her name to live longer. And the second one is called, and this one's important because this is the, this is the one that's uh, clinched the book deal with me in Harpoon. This was the poem Gary likes to bring up. Emily has a smile would have ruined the picture. There was one look, one picture of Emily in a bathtub right before we got married. She's traveling with her family. She was in Madrid or Paris or Istanbul. She had been gone for a couple of weeks. So I had been drunk for a couple of weeks and she knew that I had been drunk for a couple of weeks. So she sent me a picture of her in the bathtub, one breast covered, hair in a way I'd never seen before, looking directly at the faucet. And so surely did the tatters of my world collected into a whole woman so beautiful that when I got the picture, I accidentally deleted the picture. I remember it clearly though, her face, elegant, angry that she didn't have her hands wrapped around the back of my head to pull me off the bottle. She wanted to bury me in her beauty, and that almost worked too well. I am sober. I don't have that picture. I have Emily. She looks at me now. Mm, fantastic, fantastic, wonderful, wonderful. And that gives just such great insight into uh, what's going on uh, in your poetry collection and that it's not just a declaration of love and we're not just reading about uh, love poems, but we're really reading about connections and relationships and, 
and what draws people together and what makes them stay together through good times, bad times, and everything in between. And as we go through those life's ordinary experiences, as you talk about having kids and date nights and all those other things, it's, it's a wonderful collection. And it was so good to hear your voice put behind those words in the poem. So it was really, really great and appreciate you reading those. So Thank Darren, you, in, our, in our final moments with you, uh, what are you working on next? And if members of our audience want to reach out to you to talk to you about uh, this collection of poetry or about writing in general, uh, where can they find you and where can they get copies of your latest poetry collection? Sure. Right now I'm finishing the edits on a book that's going to come out in October called Unfinished Murder Ballads. Um, it's a series of prose poems about different sort of almost violent act or violent acts that take place here uh, in the Midwest. And that'll be out in October from Backlash Press uh, in the UK. Uh, other than that, I'm finishing uh, putting together a collection of sequences and political prose poems, a manuscript called So Much More that I'm really uh, excited about and hoping to find a, a home for that one real soon. Um, uh, in terms of getting a hold of me, you can go to darrencdemery.com. Uh, and send me a message. You can find me on Twitter at uh, DC Demery um, and connect me that way. Uh, if anyone's interested in, in purchasing any copy of the books, I'd, I'd highly recommend ordering through uh, one of the independent bookstores like the Bookloft here in Columbus um, or through the publisher directly. As uh, right now, I believe uh, Emily has sometimes The Forest Wants to Fire. 100% of the proceeds are going towards uh, a local charity in here uh, in Columbus uh, bent on uh, helping uh, the protesters uh, and helping uh, get them out of jail and so forth. Um, otherwise, you can find them, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, places like that. But I, I would highly recommend uh, going through the publisher directly or through an independent bookstore. Absolutely. And we've had a lot of our authors uh, on in recent months have talked about the importance of independent bookstores and the role that they play in helping uh, all writers, but especially writers just kind of getting their foot in the door and trying to get their careers established. They're oftentimes the biggest champions and our best champions for the work that is being published, uh, not only in our backyards and in our communities, but in our states and in our regions. So, so well mm -hmm. said on that. And we've been talking with uh, Darren Demery here on Now Appalachia today about his fantastic new collection of poems. Emily is Sometimes the Forest Wants the Fire. And folks, if you like poetry and you're interested in poetry, you need to add this to your collection. It's a great poetry about, a great collection of poems with poetry about love, about life, about what connects people together, and about how the ordinary experiences are important for us to develop and nurture those relationships. Darren, congratulations uh, on this. Uh, congratulations on this collection. It's really a terrific, terrific book, and I hope everyone will check it out. And Good luck to you as you keep working on those other projects. And as those come to fruition, uh, we'd love to have you back on Now Appalachia to talk about it. So thanks a lot. Congratulations. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. You bet. You bet. That's going to do it for us uh, on this episode of Now Appalachia. We need to take a moment to give special thanks to Pam Stack. Pam is the executive producer of not only Now Appalachia, but of all the programming you hear here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We could not produce and bring these shows to you without her help and support. So we appreciate all that she does for us behind the scenes each and every episode uh, for all of our programming, but especially here on Now Appalachia. So thanks so much, Pam. And a reminder that this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Until next time, I'm Elliot Parker. Stay well 
and see you someplace soon, I hope. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next. Stay tuned for more outstanding podcasts from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.